Take your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2, as we're going to, this week, next week, and the first Sunday in January, which is Pentecost Sunday, we're focusing on Pentecostal lifestyle. I come from a family where uh, Pentecostal was a service style. Maybe you have that uh, kind of a background, because the idea of Pentecost outside of a Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night service was not something that uh, was uh, really uh, talked about, taught about. Uh, because we we came, and when you come, that's where you experience the, the presence and the might of the Lord. But we live in a world that uh, needs the light of Jesus as never before, and that's done as we take Pentecostalism and make it a lifestyle rather than just a service style. Track with me there? I can be patient and wait until you're tracking. I'm okay with that. Now let's get into Scripture. The uh, first part of Uh, the verse that we're going to look at starting in verse 16 of chapter 2. I want to read the first two lines of that, and I want to stop for just a moment and talk a little bit about what is uh, taking place here. Uh, Peter says these words, he says, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, declares the Lord. Say those that last line with me. And in the last days it shall be. Let's try it one more time. And in the last days it shall be declares, or God declares. Joel just is a, not just, but Joel's a minor prophet in the Old Testament that they believe, because his, the, his writings don't really give us the time period, uh, they believe that he lived during the time of Nehemiah and Ezariah. And his theme of his book was the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord was, uh, had a, a background of uh, looking back and recognizing when the day of the Lord came, uh, there was deliverance, there was salvation, there was hope that was set in front of them, whether they were being delivered from Egypt or they were de- being delivered from the hands of the Midianites, whatever it was, the day of the Lord had to do in their past of deliverance and salvation. Well, He's a prophet, and as a prophet, he is foretelling of days to come. And in the days of come, he's talking about the day of the Lord. He's talking about a time period. Now, Peter changes it to the last days uh, as uh, he is giving this um, understanding because Peter is, first and foremost, he's pointing them back to Joel, and then he's pointing them at the experience that they've just witnessed and says, This is that. This is what Joel talked about 850 years before this moment. That's what Joel was talking about. And so for them, it caught their attention. And so those words, in the last days, can bring a picture in our minds that are totally different than the picture that's in God's eyes. When, when God talks about the last days, he's not talking about Revelation by itself, the book of Revelation. He's not talking about where he's going to mention the, the you know, moon turning to blood and fire and smoke and all of that thing and, and before the Lord comes back. He's talking about the time from Jesus' ascension until his descension. The last days have been going on for about 2,000 years. And I grew up in a home that uh, 
was we're living in the last days, we're living in the last days, we're living in the last days. How many can relate to that? You're always hearing you're living in the last days, you're living in the last days, you're living in the last days. And the more that we live in a, in a media-driven world with all sorts of media, we hear it more often in, in varying different ways. But from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven and the day of Pentecost then was kind of that first event after that had, until today have been the last days. It's important that you get that. Because in God's eyes, he's looking and going, all right, these are the last days. Now, this is coming from a God who's lived forever. You know, we get 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years. And so our perspective of 2,000 years is a lot different than God's 2,000 years. Let me go on and read just a little bit further. Goes on and says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire, vapor and smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, let's say that last sentence, because this is critical to understand the prophecy of Pentecost. Say, let's say that sense, last sentence together. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In that portion of Scripture, eight times the word shall is used. Because God has made a declaration looking forward and he understands that this is the way it's going to be. In the last days, this 2,000 plus year time period that we are, certainly we would think in the latter part of that, uh, we are in, God said this is how it shall be. Along with that, or what precedes that, are the words, I will. So from God's perspective, he knows that he's going to do something. And because he knows he's going to do something, there's going to be a very specific result. So that really brings us to the connect this morning. And as you read through this portion of scripture, here's the critical belief system that has to be in every one of our hearts. And it's simply this, is that every member is a minister. God is basically saying that I will make sure that everyone is a minister and it shall be. Meaning that there are no bench players, there's no, there's no second team, there's no reserve. If, a, if when the, the president and the Senate and the Congress get together, there's a designated survivor in the body of Christ, there is never to be a designated survivor. Everybody's involved. Everybody's active. Everybody has a part to play. Everybody is intended to be part of the worldwide Christian movement. Peter wrote in his letter, 
that we are a chosen generation, a, maybe you can help me with it, a royal priesthood. We have this responsibility. And in this responsibility in our day, in these last days, as we fulfill our responsibilities, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because that's his plan. That's his intent. That's what he has intended for everyone around the world. We know that in this scripture, God is including both male and female. Now, I that's just two genders, and I know we live in a world where people want to classify genders, but we live in God's world, and there are two genders, right? And whether you're male or you're female, God has a plan for you to minister so that people will turn and call upon the name of the Lord so they shall be saved. It doesn't matter if they're, you're young or you're old. I was thinking about that young and that old and the, the young see visions and the old dream dreams. The only reason the old dream dreams more is they start sleeping more. Well, that may be true for me, not the rest of you. But even the servants, both male and female, because even among the servants, the, the lowest class of society, there was a male who would still be over the female in that society, even they shall minister. They have this, this gift given by the Lord so that they may see people turn and call upon the Lord and be saved. Now, we live in a world that has, I think, created some, some common myths or misunderstandings of what ministry is really all about. There are people that believe that the only ministers there are, are are pastors of churches. After all, they're the ministers. That's what we call them, ministers. And so we tend to think, well, that's not my job. But Joel didn't prophesy about a time period where people would turn to the Lord and just go to church and pay their tithe and greet or work in the nursery. There are other people that, that feel like the only way I can be a minister is if I do it full time. I can't do my job and be a minister. Dear friend of ours uh, from Arizona, is an in-home health nurse. And an in-home health nurse typically will go into a home right before uh, hospice goes uh, and gets set up. And so there's always that transition where hospice is getting ready to come. And, and I would follow uh, Red in her ministry. And uh, what I would find is I would step into the home and the presence of Jesus was already there. Because while she took a paycheck from an organization that was a health organization, she understood that her responsibility is that she is a minister. And so wherever she was at, she was not just taking care of the physical body, but she was giving people an opportunity to turn to the Lord so they might be saved. Others really, uh, this, is, this is certainly a, an immature uh, a Christian 
thought process, but it's a common one that you have to grow out of. And it's simply that I can begin to minister when I get past my sin. And I guarantee you the devil will always make sure you're trying to get past your sin. Or there are those that think that believe that I just need to learn a little bit more. When I first came to know the Lord, I would go and I would say, okay, Lord, I want to spend some time with you, but I want to be able to share your love with someone today. And I would, I, my one-on-one time with the Lord uh, was kind of birthed real early in my walk with him. And I, and I would be in the scriptures in the morning and then I would get up and go to work. And I worked for a sales company and, and I, I would go to work. And inevitably, whenever I would position myself like that early on with the Lord, the Lord would give me an opportunity that I would be able to minister to somebody and I was able to minister with them to them with the exact same scripture I had been in that morning. Because God has an ability to use those who will just very simply say yes to him. So I want to ask you this question, then I want to develop a little further. Do you see yourself as a minister? Do you see yourself as a minister? To better understand God's view of a minister, I want to kind of move to the grow piece because this is where we're going to really break down the, the, um, uh, the ministry. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the miraculous and we're going to talk about the multiplication. But ministry, biblically, it's, it just means service. It, it Really, in the strictest sense, it means service as a slave. That I'm, that I'm connected to do what my master wants me to do. But the context of this scripture is not service to the poor. That's important. Because if you remember when Paul came back, when he came to the, the council of Jerusalem, they said, just, we just want to make sure that you're taking care of Paul, the poor. And Paul says, well, I'm already doing that. The context of this is that ultimately people will turn to the Lord and cry out to the Lord so they might be saved. Ministry of the body of Christ the foundation of it, the launching place, has everything to do with making sure people are able to turn to the Lord so that they might be saved. Now, here's what God is not saying. God is not saying he's going to make you a prophet. For me, I go, yes. I don't really have the prophet gift. Prophets foretell. Prophets say, this is the things that are coming. And God is not saying that he is going to make men and women, servants, young and old, all prophets. But when the Spirit is poured out, there's a dynamic of ministry that opens up that did not previously exist. With the exception of the, the visions and dreams, and these are would be along the same line, prophecy is very simply revelation. It's going behind the veil. It's opening the eyes and being able to see something that was previously unable to be seen. Now that's been opened up. Richard Foster talks about our spirituality, and I think it kind of goes along with the, the, the ministry piece, and uh, is that, that our spirituality is, is really like walking on a cliff's edge, and the cliff is on both sides. In fact, a number of years ago, I, I hiked uh, Angel's Landing, 
And Angel's Landing uh, is um, a hike that you go. It's about two miles. When you get to the towards the top of it, there's a actually a, a chain that is anchored into the rock because on both sides there is a 1,500 foot drop. Now I struggle when it comes to to these kinds of heights, but I kind of had made the decision I'm going to do it anyway. And, and I was really concerned going up, but as I started doing it, it wasn't so bad as long as I just looked down at my feet and held on to the, to the chain. When it comes to ministry, one side of that cliff is our own humanness. If you rely 100% on your ability, your natural God-given talents, you're going to fall off the cliff. I don't know how many people I've talked to over time where they first come to a church that, whether it was Bethel, I was pastoring, or Clarence and I back in Arizona, and they would come and say, we just needed to come in a time to rest from ministry. Well, that happens because it's all you, where you have just said, I'm going to give God everything I have. The other side of that cliff is when people just say, it's all God, and they're not themselves involved. If God doesn't do it, if God doesn't save the people at my work, well, that's on him and them. If God doesn't save my neighbors, well, that's on God and them. But God's intent is that we walk by the spirit that he's given us, and we walk a line where we are holding on to his path. And we're saying, I'm going to take the steps, Lord, that you want me to take, so that ultimately you are glorified, because now it's not just me but I'm able to move beyond my own human limitations. Now I can see things that I shouldn't normally be able to see. Prophesying is seeing and then speaking. I see this, I speak this. I see this, I speak this. A vision is something that is seen and then spoken. A dream is something that is seen and then spoken. We begin to go, God, I want to make sure that I am seeing the things that you want me to see. That's ministry. Ministry is is not about what you personally can accomplish. In fact, if you've been doing ministry for a period of time and you can't begin to recognize where God has come along, then it's all been about what you can do. And you need to stop and say, wait a minute, Lord. You said in these last days... This shall happen. That means it should happen in you and I. We should prophesy. We should have visions. We should have dreams. Not not man-made vision, man-made dreams. Not that those are bad, but when it comes to ministry, if God's intent is that there would be this time period of roughly 2,000 years so far so that people would, every person that comes and says yes to him would begin to minister not in their own humanness alone, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, there would be more and more people who would turn and call upon the name of the Lord. Because what goes along with that is miracles. You're able to see things that are not normally seen. I don't know about you, but I I pray that that daily I live with this expectation of, God, what are you going to do? If, if you've not been in a place of prayer before the Lord where you're saying, Lord, if you don't show up in this, if you don't do something miraculous here, I can't speak enough logic to get a heart to turn to you. You've got to come. You've got to do what only you can do. And the beautiful part about the scripture is that is ultimately God is saying that I will 
and you shall. I will, and you shall. We respond by saying, I will. God says, I shall. I hope you get that. God declared it. Long before Jesus came, God declared that in the last days, this is what's going to happen. Now, you may have to get past some of your, your previous theology here if you think that God has just stepped back and is now absent until he comes back again. He poured out his spirit on all flesh. He's saying, long ago, he said, I'm going to do this. This will be the result. So we say, okay, I'll do it. God says, good. Watch what I'll do. The Pentecostal lifestyle, it really does long for miracles. It longs for it. Now, again, if it's a service style, then we try to set every service up for a miracle. And certainly, getting a miracle on a Sunday is not bad, but God's not limited to a Sunday. I've said it a number of times. I'll keep saying it. We can do way more ministry Monday through Saturday than we can ever do on Sunday. But we have to position ourselves and say, Lord, you said that you would do it to men and women. Does that, in that includes everybody in the room? Young and old, that includes everybody in the room. You'd pour out your spirit, and there would be prophesying, and there would be visions and dreams. I want to step into that, Lord. He says, I want to do that. I'll, I'll, I'll anoint that. I'll give you that. What happens is that people begin to turn and call upon the Lord. They begin to say yes to the Lord. And they say, I will, Lord. And he goes, good, because here's what I'll do. He responds. So what does that look like Monday through Saturday? Well, it starts, we decide that, okay, I want to grow into this. I want, to, I want to become somebody who is really a minister, where I am walking the line with the Holy Spirit, and I, and I want to see the miraculous take place. I want to be able to turn around in stages of my life and see those who are following Jesus because through the ministry that God has given me, they turned and called upon the name of the Lord. The beautiful thing about that is, is that ultimately, in that multiplication process, when they learn it's not just about getting to heaven, but that every member is a minister, they can turn around in their lives and they can see people who are following them because they've turned and said, this is the Lord. Watch the Lord in action. Others have turned and called upon the name of the Lord. So how do we go? Well, it starts with the means. The means is very simply we have to trust the Spirit. We have to say, Lord, it's, it's, I'm part of the process, but the only way I can really get this accomplished is if you partner with me. If you actually said way before Jesus came that this is the way it will be, then I want to step in and say, I want it to be that way. You've got to come and you have to help. You have to trust that God will help you beyond your own human limitations. You've got to trust that. His desire is to do that. It's, a, it's, a, it's really a life, I believe, that more and more, even as we were singing that song, uh, let me be more aware of your presence, where we are in this relationship, we are in this interaction with God's Spirit, and we are... We are saying to the Lord, okay, what are you saying about this person? What are you saying about that person? Because I can't, I can't begin to, to know. When we, when we train, about, train people on group prayers, 
I'm a, I, by the way, am a firm believer in praying with your eyes open. First reason I believe that is because I'm married to Clarissa. And if I pray with my eyes closed, she's going to poke me while I pray. So Jesus said, watch and pray. So, okay. But beyond that, when you begin to move in the prophetic and you begin to say the things that the Lord is saying, it becomes a visual process. You begin to see a reaction in the person's life. You begin to see a change. Why? Because it's not that you are speaking on your own. It's that while you're speaking, the Spirit of God is doing something in their heart, in their life. And so, I'm saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to do something with these words. But I want to know what those words are. Jesus, he said pretty clearly that uh, to his disciples, he goes, don't worry about what you're going to have to say in court. Again, I alluded to this last week. As an introvert, you're always worried about what you're going to say. Or you find that you said something and you walked away and you start analyzing what you said until you're blue in the face. You ever do that? Yeah, these are kind of normal things that we do. But Jesus said, don't worry about that. Because what happens is when you go in with a pre-script, when you go in with this is what I'm going to get across, then you're not giving space for the Holy Spirit to say, this is what I want to say. These are the words that I have ordained. So Jesus said, don't worry about when you go up before courts. I'll tell you in that moment what to say. So a big part of the means is really give an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to be active even while we are actively in this relationship with a person. But we have to mature in it. The maturing part, really, Paul said that we, that he says, I, I pray you all uh, speak in tongues, but especially that you prophesy, especially that you prophesy. Why is that? Because there's, that is a great place for uh, us to develop the miraculous. It's a great place for us to recognize what God is saying because, as I mentioned earlier, first and foremost, it's visible. You can, you can see the, the, the result of your words as they're being spoken. You can do this with uh, a waiter or waitress in a restaurant given the opportunity and time. You could do this with somebody you meet in anywhere in the market. It's something you can do at work. It's something that you can do as you're talking to your next-door neighbor. You have to be going, okay, Lord, I, I, want, I want to be able to. You're not going to, in, in the, when Pentecost is a service style, some of you will relate to this, the prophetic didn't happen until somebody took the service over by speaking in tongues. Right? How many of you experienced that? That, you know, the worship would go long enough, and then someone would speak in tongues, and then someone else would prophesy. We'd always assumed that that was, a, that was an interpretation of the, the tongues that were given. But what I found is that while speaking in tongues in Scripture is about glorifying God, it's about Him. It's about moving that way. And when that's interpreted, then people are saying how great and glorious God is. But the prophetic is person to person that you are building up and you are edifying. Prophetic ends up being motivational. So that's not going to happen in the restaurant. Someone's not going to step up. The likelihood of somebody standing up and speaking in tongues without getting cast out uh, or something cast out of them uh, in, the, in the restaurants, it's unlikely. But the prophetic is an opportunity. No, this seems to me like da-da-da and say what the Lord is saying. 
here's what will happen. Two things. You'll recognize when it's the Lord because something will change in them. And two, they will be motivated toward something. And what they're always motivated toward is turning to the Lord and calling upon him so that they may be or that they shall be saved. Once that begins to happen, this is where I'd really like to close it. I think this is something that we have to choose to maintain. We have to choose to do that. It's not just going to happen. One of the things that as I, as, as we together went through COVID, but as I went through COVID and I just was assessing the church, in part, I understood how when Revelation, it talks about this. It says that these things were done. The, the, the meteors would come and people would hide in caves and there'd be the, literally as Joel's talking about, the, the, there's blood and fire and all this stuff. And people wouldn't turn to the Lord. In fact, they would be angry with him. And make no mistake, God took his hand back and allowed COVID to go global. Make no mistake about that. And that did not cause a revival. In fact, half of, here's, here's what st statistics now show. The majority of people that came to church one or two times a month now only come one, to, one every six to eight weeks. People who, people who um, were regular became semi-regular. It didn't turn them toward God. It more turned them toward this life and the things that they could get now. But those that have an intimate relationship with the Lord, who, who desire to minister every opportunity that they have, it didn't turn, that didn't turn them away from the Lord. They looked for opportunity to step in. Why? Because they didn't want to be away from people. They wanted to be with people. And they wanted to be with people not for self-satisfaction, but to minister with them. Because when, when a person lives with a spiritual passion and urgency, it's because they understand time and eternity. When people live with a passion and an urgency before the Lord, they understand time and eternity. They recognize that the last days, the, the last days that we're living in, these are the last days for me, however they may be, at my current age of all of whatever you want to attach to it. I've got that much time left. But I'm going to live with a passion and an urgency for Jesus because I know that all the time that I have for bucket lists and life of ease and all the problems being aside, I get to enjoy for all of eternity. But in this day that I live now, God has already declared it that he shall pour his spirit out on all flesh. And the sons and the daughters, the young and the old, and the male servants and the female servants, they're going to walk in a dynamic of ministry that will call people to turn to the Lord. And those people are going to turn and they're going to be saved. And so Lord, would you just come and ignite that passion in us again? Would you do it? Would you stand with me? You're just going to ask the Lord to, to turn that, turn your heart to it. Lord, turn our hearts to, to being a, a people that are ministering, Lord, not, not just in our own ability. In fact, if you, if I, if you really resonated with that, that whole walking the cliff and you found yourself kind of falling off the side of doing it all in your own humanness, just ask the Lord to forgive you there. Lord, forgive me for that. And, and the moment you do that, you're reaching up and you're grabbing and pulling yourself up to center again.
If, you, if you've just taken the attitude that it's all God and you fall up on that side, Lord, forgive me for that. I want to partner with you. I want to be part of the process that you declared long before that you would pour out your spirit. So God, would you help us? Help us, Lord, that we would walk, that we would be a people that walk in a dynamic of ministry that is uh, experiencing the miraculous on a regular basis. somebody uses the Lord's name in vain on the phone. To me, that's, if you want to use the F word, in other words, that's fine. But if you use the Lord's name in vain, then I, and, and we're playing on the court, you know what I do? I don't always do it audibly. Sometimes I do. I say these words, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And just mentioning that to this person, they didn't know how to really reconcile that. 
But ministry is not just what we do. It's what the Lord does through us. And for some of you, you just need to start praying for the people that God has placed around your life and allow the, the ministry of the Spirit to happen through the words that come out of your mouth. And then there's going to be opportunity to speak something. And you're going to be able to minister a little bit further. And give an opportunity. The Lord will allow you to minister to people that he's placed around you in a way that they can turn and call upon the name of the Lord. So Lord, I'm asking that you'd help each of us to recognize who you have providentially placed around us. Help us, Lord. Help us to now, Lord, as we begin to recognize, begin to step into, begin to, uh, begin to minister, not just out of our own humanness, but out of the power of the Spirit of which you said you would pour out upon us. We claim that we receive that in Jesus' name. We want it, Lord. We want to walk in it. And Lord, for anyone that doesn't want it, I pray that you help them to recognize the adventure and the, the blessedness of being able to walk in it. So they would desire it as well. In Jesus' name. Do you want that for your life? Okay, if you really want that for your life, if you really want that for your life, you've got to tell somebody, not your spouse, that this is what you're working towards. I want the Lord to be able to give me miracle moments with people that are around you. Would you ask me how I'm doing with that in a week? If you really want it, you'll do that. Because discipleship starts with the question, what's Jesus doing? If Jesus is going to be doing this, okay. The, the follow-up question to that is how are you changing through that? If he's saying this, how is that changing you? How is your life going to be different? So get with somebody that will ask you that and allow you to be transformed as a follower of Jesus. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.